Hi folks, welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. Today's video was recorded on November 9th, 2021, and this is the eighth lesson in our weekly Bible study through the book of Matthew. And in today's lesson, we're going to look at an interaction that takes place in Matthew chapter 19 between Jesus and a rich man who doesn't want to give up his wealth. And we're going to explore what it means when Jesus says to him, you will have treasure in heaven. And so that phrase, treasure in heaven, was a common expression in the first century and had been developed over the past few hundred years prior to Jesus' birth. And you can find that phrase throughout the New Testament, not only the gospel writers, but Paul and James. So in this lesson, we dig into the background of that phrase and how the sages of the first century envision the interactions that are taking place between you, those in need, and God. And as a reminder, if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you click that subscribe button below to keep up with all of our lessons. Enjoy today's video on storing up treasures in heaven. So tonight we're going to talk about treasures in heaven. And that phrase becomes an important phrase. It's developed over time so that in the first century it means something very specific. And treasures in heaven have to do with charity. Almsgiving, you might say. So it becomes very specific, and it's used exactly that way in the New Testament. So it's important as we look at this little text in Matthew that we understand how they're using that phrase, because then it helps illuminate everything else that is around it in the Bible. All right, so Matthew's study, this is week eight, of course. and I didn't really have a good picture for the almsgiving, so this is the schoolhouse at the synagogue in Magdala, and that stone, they believe, was used to hold a scroll of sorts for the students to study their scrolls. So today we're going to be doing a lot of turning in the Bible, and I thought, well, there we go, we'll, we're, we'll sit in the schoolhouse at Magdala and talk about treasures in heaven. Now I have one announcement to make. So we are going to do a very short study, two, basically two weeks in a row, on the book of Judges. And it'll be Tuesday, December 7th, so December 7th for the first one, and then December 14th, one week later, for the second one. And there's something that I want to show you about Judges. So Judges, well, it's a terrible name because we think of a judge as somebody who oversees law proceedings. But the word it actually means a leader, somebody who governs. It could be a military leader of sorts. So it's really about the leadership or governance. The whole book is about governance. All of the warnings in the book are about governance. And we're going to talk about governance and then what these, what is it, what's the picture that it's painting for us? Something that applies to all times in all governance situations, whether it's a business or a government or anything in between. And a couple weeks ago, we mentioned this idea as we were starting out the kingdom of heaven. We mentioned this idea that in that time, the ancient people lived and they thought they kind of lived in this great cycle of the cosmos. And the cycle just repeated itself and repeated itself and repeated itself. And one of the things that breaks that cycle is the Old Testament itself. 
It's the Jews writing down their history to learn their mistakes and not repeat them to move forward. The Bible is the thing that breaks that cycle. Well, this is going to apply to Judges, because Judges is a series of cycles. It's a series where things are going well, and suddenly they're not going well. And it, it happens throughout the whole book, and every time it cycles around, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So it's like, not only do you go through these horrible periods of oppression, but every cycle gets worse and worse. So you get to the very end of Judges, and it's chaos. And there's this phrase that, that begins chapter 19, and it ends the book, and it says, In those days Israel had no king. And the end of that book is chaotic. It's a very strange story. We'll do that strange story in the, in the second week. But the first week will be about these cycles and the parable that's told, that's warning them about making sure who you choose to be your leader could be detrimental to you. Anyways, that's what we'll do for Judges, just two weeks. All right, so Tuesday, December 7th, and December 14th, anybody watching online, if you're interested in joining the study, you can go to BigTreeTeaching.com and sign up. And we'll have links down below in the video uh, of this video here. Okay, we're going to talk charity. Charity today, even though it's titled Treasures in Heaven, it's about charity. And charity, in specifically, by the first century, the phrase treasure in heaven, or store up your treasures in heaven, specifically applies to charity. So when you see that phrase, ah, charity. So that's the first thing we have to decipher, and we'll walk through how do they get to that point. And then the second one is the term righteousness in the Old Testament gets interpreted as charity. If you do acts of righteousness, that means you're doing acts of charity, almsgiving. Even today, um, if you go to a Jewish organization, it's acts of righteousness, charity. Uh, zedekah is the word that they use. So when we see some of the, the Proverbs, it's going to say righteousness, but it actually, they interpret that to mean charity. And then finally, and this is where we get in problems with our theologically, there is going to be a theological problem because, as we'll see tonight, they interpreted charity as something that would protect or deliver you. Now, that obviously goes against our theological assumptions about salvation. Salvation through Jesus Christ, it's an act of faith that saves you. But you will see repeatedly that it's going to mention it saves you from death. Now, it's probably spiritual death of some sort. And then the, the, the rich man is going to talk to Jesus and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we would probably give a very different answer than Jesus gives him. So we do bump into a theological issue. What I would like to get everyone to get out of this is simply that God cares about taking care of the poor. Okay, and then one just, I wanted to put this in, in the video as a reference point. There's an organization out of Jerusalem called uh, Jerusalem Perspective. So this is a screenshot of their website. And you can go JerusalemPerspective.com. They do have some free articles. They have, it, they're really good 
uh, scholarly articles. And then there is a paywall. If you bump into some articles that you do have to pay for the remainder of it, you can sign up for that. But it's a great organization. And here's one article from their website called Treasure in Heaven, Examining an Ancient Idiom for Charity. So this is just one of the resources. There's many great articles about on this topic. And Jerusalem Perspective is a fantastic resource if anybody is interested in uh, learning more about the, the perspective coming from studying the text in Israel. Okay. All right, so if you have your Bible, you can, you can open it to Matthew 19, and then we're going to look at verse 16 to 21. We're going to read it real quick, and then we have to go through some passages to figure out how do they get to this conclusion of what they're talking about in the first century. And I will note a couple times, the version that I'm using is that I'm going to pull all the text from today is the NRSV, so that's the New Revised Standard Version, dash, Anglicized Catholic Edition. So I have to pull from a Catholic Bible, because a Catholic Bible has the uh, Apocrypha in it. And just as a note, we used the, they used to print Protestant Bibles with the Apocrypha. The King James used to print the Apocrypha all the way up until the late 1800s. So um, for those not familiar with the Apocrypha, it used to be in your Bible. It's not any longer. But Protestants aren't used to seeing that. Catholics are. Okay, so Matthew 19, verse 16. It starts like this. This is the rich young man who d gets disappointed uh, because of Jesus' answer. He says, Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So eternal life. If someone came to you and said, what must I do to have eternal life? We would say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who be saved. You know, you're saved by, by faith. We would give them all of the stuff that we give them. But that's not going to be the answer Jesus gives this guy. Now, we assume that this person's already Jewish or is Jewish. But this is, a, this is going to be a tough one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, let's see how Jesus responds. And he said to him, why do you ask me what, about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. So he said to him, which ones? And Jesus responded, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Now those are all from the Ten Commandments. So Jesus' response to eternal life is, the Ten Commandments. And then also, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the two great commandments. We're going to do that next week. Why are they two great commandments that are stuck together? That's what we're going to ask next week. Okay, so there's his reply. Then the young man says to him, well, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? And now the hammer is going to drop on him because Jesus is going to, he's going to bring it home right here. And so Jesus said to him, if you wish to perform to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. So what are we talking about? Charity, give the money to the poor. And if you do, you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Now, 
there's all kinds of stuff to talk about. The guy doesn't want to sell his stuff. He's attached to his, his wealth, all of that. What I want to focus on is where do they get the treasure in heaven? How do we build up to that? How does that get connected with charity? So it's clearly the answer is all about charity. And then when we finish tonight, we'll talk about this is, this is a pretty radical suggestion of Jesus. Sell all your stuff. At that moment, if you sold everything you had, the only thing you can rely on day to day is God. And so Jesus knows he's going to put you right in that position where you have to rely on God. Okay, that's the main, that's the main uh, point tonight. Now, what I want you to do is turn backwards in Matthew and go to Matthew 6, because this phrase is going to be repeated. Well, it is repeated in Matthew. So Matthew 6, verse 1, and verse 1, in this version, so it says, Beware of practicing your piety before others to be seen by them. Now, they use the word piety. Now, all of us can relate. Hey, don't, don't go do your actions of piety just to impress everybody around you, because God doesn't like that. He wants you to do it out of the goodness of your heart. But Many of the, your Bibles will say, when you do righteousness, don't do it in front of people. So they use the word righteousness. Here they use piety, but it's the same thing. When you're practicing righteousness, well, what's righteousness? It's, it's giving alms. It's, it's taking care of the poor. So when you practice your righteousness or piety, don't do it before others to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then look at the very beginning of verse 2. So whenever you give alms, that's how he continues. How you practice righteousness has to do with giving alms. So I just want to show you, there's, he's connecting those two in Matthew 6, uh, the connection between the word righteousness and giving alms. Then, if you turn one more time to math, or it's Matthew 6, 19, just look down at verse 19 and 21. You guys are all familiar with this as soon as you see it, because it's, the, it's where the verse treasures uh, in heaven come in. So Matthew 6, 19, 21 says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. So there's a, the idea of storing something up in a treasury of sorts. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasure in heaven. There's the other phrase. Where moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. So there's something we're building, storing up in a treasury in heaven. And what I want you to note is the use of the word rust. Some of your Bibles might say verm, uh, vermin. The word has to do with eating away. So this word rust, well, if you have metal like silver or gold, what eats away at it? What corrodes it? Well, it's rust. So, so even though some Bibles use vermin and some use maybe corrode, but it's the idea of corroding away. Uh, in the ancient world, to store your coins, you'd stick them in the ground and they would start to corrode. So we'll see that later in one of the verses. Okay, so here we are, treasures in heaven. How did we get here? That's what I want to walk you through. 
Because this idea, as Jesus is saying it, and Paul says it, and James says it, and Luke makes it one of the central focuses of his gospel and Acts, is this is something that's widely known. They don't have to explain what treasure in heaven means. Everybody knows what it means. So we're going to do a, take a little journey from the Old Testament through to the New, and it's always a good reminder that the Old Testament was completed. They finished writing the book somewhere around 450 B.C., so 450 years before Jesus. And today we're going to look at Proverbs specifically. And then we're going to go, we have to take that all the way to the New Testament, right? Which really the actions of Jesus doesn't start till after 30 AD, even though we do get the story of his birth. And it's this middle period in here, 500 years, that we need to, to examine some of the writings, because this is where you get the development of thought. So in this, in this intertestamental period that they call it, between the Old Testament and the New, is when you get, all of, you get development of ideas. Uh, resurrection comes into um, the forefront of people's minds. You have um, Sadducees and synagogues and baptism and all of that that you don't find in the Old Testament, but just show up in the New Testament. They all happen during that 500-year period. And there's a group of writings that's called, lost my, there's a group of writings that's called the Apocrypha. This is what's found in the Catholic Bible, but not, unfortunately, in the Protestant Bible. It used to be printed as a separate addendum. The Anglicans read it. Anglicans say, yep, read the Apocrypha for history and understanding these middle periods. And unfortunately, a lot of Protestants aren't familiar with it. So the Apocrypha is somewhere 250, between 300 and 200 BC. These documents are being written, and we're going to look at two of them. We're going to look at a book called Tobit, and we're going to look at a book called Sirach, or as the Catholics call it, Ecclesiasticus. And that's a, they're both very famous books. Everybody knew these books, widely read, lots of ideas being pulled out of it that you can find in the New Testament. And then, that's going to flow through to the New Testament, where you get Matthew, Paul uses the term about storing up heavens, uh, treasures in heaven, James, we'll look at a quote from James about the rich. So this is all being built up over time. That's what we're going to do right now. So if you would, you got, you, here's your choice. You can turn there in your Bible to Proverbs, or you can look at your handout, because I put it on your handout. And we're going to do three things in Proverbs, then we'll look at um, the intertestamental ones, and that'll bring us into the New Testament. So the main, the main verse, this is like the one at the, at the bottom of everything, is Proverbs 10.2. And how did they interpret Proverbs 10.2? Well, on your handout and on the screen is a paraphrase. Your Bibles, many of your Bibles, say ill-gotten gains. So this says, so my paraphrase is, the treasuries of wickedness will not profit, they will not get you any profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, where do we get the word treasuries? Well, 
If your Bible says ill-gotten gains, that's one way you could interpret the word, but you can just as easily interpret it treasuries. And because ill-gotten gains sounds like the manner in which you got the wealth. That's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about what are you doing with the wealth you have? Are you storing up your wealth in treasuries to, to do nothing? Then that's a treasury of wickedness. Or, and then here's the other problem with this verse, this noun, treasuries, we're looking at is uh, Hebrew, uh, sorry, the word's now escaping me, uh, poetic parallelism, sorry, poetic parallelism, meaning you have two parallel sentences. So the word treasuries is found in the first one, that's the noun. The treasuries of wickedness will not profit. And then you transfer that word treasuries to the next sentence. But treasuries of righteousness delivers from death. So that was, that's how you, you would operate uh, that poetic parallelism. So if you paraphrased it, and this is what I put on your sheet, it would say the treasuries of wickedness will not profit you, meaning they're going to do you no good at the end of, at the, at the day of, that you might need them. If you got all your money, um, in the, in the warehouses, or sorry, in the stockpiled up in the treasuries. So the treasuries of the wicked will not profit, but the treasuries of the righteous, or treasuries of righteousness, deliver from death. So it's comparing the treasuries of wickedness and the treasuries of, of righteousness. Now, what are treasuries of righteousness? Well, that's, you earn wealth, and then you distribute it to the needy. It's charity. That's how they interpreted that. And notice this little phrase at the very end, what? delivers from death. Now, what do they mean by that? Spiritual death? Yes, I'm sure. Did some people put that into, you know, ultimate salvation? Perhaps. But you get this phrase is going to come up over and over and over. So this is the main one. Proverbs 10.2. The treasuries of righteousness deliver from death. Okay, next one. Next chapter in Proverbs. Proverbs 11.4. And again, a paraphrase. So I'll let you turn the page in your Proverbs if you need to turn the page. And you're going to get the same idea. So wealth provides no benefit in the day of wrath. If you save up all your money, it doesn't matter how much you have in the bank, in the day of reckoning, it does you zero good. That's the whole point. Wealth provides no benefit in the, day of the, in the day of wrath, but righteousness can deliver you from death. And again, you're connecting this word wealth up here with this word righteousness down here. And again, righteousness meaning charity. Hey, if you got money and you don't do anything with it, it does you no good. If you have money and you use it, then it delivers you from death. And there you can see that same... Um, same language that was in the last one. Okay. So it's folly to think that if you amass a bunch of wealth, somehow that's going to save you from all the problems. It won't. Okay. Last one is, and this is the, my favorite one, I think, Proverbs 19.17. So if you turn to Proverbs 19.17, or you can look at your sheet. So Proverbs 19, 17. Now my version says, one who has 
pity on the poor. And that word pity is the same word as gracious. If you're one who is gracious towards the poor, one who looks favorable at the poor, one who is generous to the poor. So you don't just have pity like, now, 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 I have pity on you. It's one who looks, who, who looks compassionately at the poor. The one who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deeds. This is the cool one. Because when you give charity to the poor, it's as if you're giving a loan to God. This is where we get treasuries in heaven. You're giving a loan to God. And who's going to repay the loan? God will. He, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. So charity, is, it's, it's not a neutral event. There's a, there's a dynamic happening here. You give charity is like giving a loan to God, and God's going to repay you. That's cool. Now, how does he repay you? Well, with blessings from heaven, right? So here's the picture that I, that I have on your sheet, the diagram that I wanted you to have. So it's a dynamic interaction that's happening. There's you. There's somebody who's in need. And we know from the Bible that God has a strong affinity towards those in need or those on the margins, uh, the widow, the orphan, the alien, because they're struggling and you're there to help them. So you take your money, your wealth, and you give it to the ones in need. And as this proverb is saying, it's as if you took that money and gave it to God. You put it in a treasury in the heavens. You gave God the loan, and now that God has the loan, he's going re to repay you, and so the blessings come back at you. So there's a blessing in the fact that, that the, those in need got what they needed. They got their needs met, but you get the blessing of having, being part of that interaction because God says, I'm going to open up my, the heavens to you. So every time you give to those in need, it's as if you store up your treasures in heaven. And that is now building something. In their mind, they look at it like a cosmic bank account of sorts that God is going to keep the books on. Something like that. So there's much more dynamic nature going on here. So, okay, those three things, Proverbs 10.2, 11.4, and then this idea of, of giving God a loan builds, starts to build up language where you get treasures in heaven. And the, the coolest thing about this God's economy is charity is good for everybody around, right? And I'm not, this isn't your tithe to the church. This is charity, helping those in need. Charity is good for the one receiving. Charity is really good for the one for giving. It's right. Great for our character. We get blessings from God. And charity is good for God because he loves to see his sons and daughters taking care of each other. So everybody's blessed all the way around. It's, it's an amazing economy that God uh, built up. Okay, so now that starts to move forward from uh, in Proverbs. And now we get to the Apocrypha, and these are the ones that we're not real familiar with. So I put them on your sheet, and you'll just have to read from your sheet or you can listen. The main point I want you to hear is if you just listen as I read them, is just hear the language that's being used. Because this is how it gets to the New Testament and to the uh, cult or the, the context, the cultural context around the New Testament. So I'll start. This is in a book called Tobit, 
written about 250 BC. Uh, it's telling a story as if it was much older, but it's a it's a fairly new book. Uh, new, sorry, 250 BC, but it's relating something as if it was like in six or 700 BC. So, okay. So it says, give alms from your possessions. Do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. To have a good eye means you're generous. So you give a gift. Don't, have a, don't give a gift begrudgingly. Give alms from your possession. Okay? Now, this next sentence is great. Do not turn your face away from anyone who is poor, and the face of God will not be turned away from you. Now, what is that? If you don't turn your face away from the poor, then God won't turn his face away from you. Measure for measure. That's what we did a few weeks ago. That's a direct measure for measure. Okay, verse 8. If you have many possessions, make your gift in proportion. That's what Paul says. Make your gift in proportion to whatever you have. If you have few, then don't be afraid of giving according to the little that you do have. Everybody was obligated to give charity. Even those who receive charity should turn around and give it to somebody who else, who, someone else is in need, because they deserve to be blessed as well. Okay, next verse. This is verse 9. And here's where they get to the explanation. So you will be laying up good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity. So there's the laying up of treasures. For almsgiving delivers from death. And keep, there's again that phrase, delivers from death, and keeps you out of the darkness. So that's Tobit. But again, hear the language, laying up good treasures when it comes to charity. All right, another one from Tobit. This again is on your sheet. And those links on your sheet will take you to the uh, Bible Gateway website, where if you wanted to read more uh, from Tobit, um, this one. Prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with righteousness. Now, what's cool here, you have prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and righteousness. How does Matthew 6 begin? It's almsgiving, it's prayer, it's fasting. In Matthew 6, when you pray, when you fast, when you give to the poor. It's all ideas of righteousness. So this little sentence here is what Matthew 6 has. So then it says, a little, with, a little with righteousness is better than wealth with wrongdoing. It's better to give alms than to lay up gold. So again, the idea of laying up, so giving alms and laying up gold. And then finally, again, you have this repeated, for alms giving saves from death. Whatever they mean by that and purges away every sin. Those who give alms will enjoy full life, but those who commit sin, oh, sorry, let me go back there. Those who commit sin and do wrong are their own worst enemies. Um, okay, that's Tobit, but just if you hear that language about uh, storing up uh, treasures in the heavens. Now we'll go to the last one that we have is Sirach. Sirach uh, called Ecclesiastes in the in Ecclesiasticus in the Catholic Bible, they have found in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, segments of Sirach. It's a widely known book. It's a book of wisdom, kind of like Proverbs. 
Okay, so Sirach, verse 8. Never be... Sorry. Nevertheless, be patient with somebody in humble circumstances, and do not keep him waiting for your alms. Help the poor for the commandment's sake. Now, I'll, I'll, I put something on your sheet, and I'll mention it later, that Paul says to Timothy, make sure they keep the commandment. But then he doesn't tell you which commandment it is. And all scholars say it's charity. He's telling Timothy, make sure they're taking care of the poor. So help the poor for the commandment's sake. And in their need, do not send them away empty-handed. Lose your silver for the sake of a brother or a friend, and do not let it rust under a stone and be lost. So what do we see there? Aha, the idea of your, your treasures are rusting out underneath a stone because they're doing no good underneath that stone. Okay, verse 11. So lay up your treasure according to the commandments of the Most High. There's lay up your treasure again. And it will profit you more than gold. Store up almsgiving in your treasury. Store up, again, that idea. And treasury, it will rescue you from every disaster. There again, you get something about rescuing and disasters. And better than a stout shield and a sturdy spear, it will fight for you against the enemy. Okay. I just wanted you to see those. This is how you get the development. So by the time you get to the first century and Matthew, you've gone through 500 years of them thinking about what the most important things are, and you get these phrases. So I'm just going to do this real quick. You started out Matthew 19:16 with the idea of eternal life. How do I gain eternal life? And the answer that Jesus gives is charity. Go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. So it's not exactly the answer that we would think, but in the first century, that's the, that was the way that they uh, thought about charity. Okay, so hopefully that at least gives you the idea of the, the arc that this is going through to where we get those phrases in the New Testament, and that it's specifically about charity. So I'm going to do a quick review of all this, and then I'm going to do one more reading from James. So, as way of review, righteousness equals charity, and at least that's how they interpreted acts of righteousness, charity, and you see that in Matthew 6.1. You lay up treasure in heaven. It's the idea from Proverbs. I'm, I'm helping the poor, right? We go back to this. How do I lay up my treasures in heaven? Help the poor. So there's you, you, God is watching out for the poor, you give your money to them, it's as if you stored up your money up in heaven. And God says, thank you, right? Now I've got your account, and because I've got your account, I'm going to give you the blessing. So that's storing up your treasures in heaven. Then there's something about rust, right? And, uh, again, the, in the ancient world, you would put your coins in a bag and bury them in the ground. And what would happen? They'd begin to corrode. So something's eating away at the coin, right? And we're going to turn to James, because you have to see how James uses this idea of how dare you leave your money in the ground, right? So, um, so rust not only shows up in Matthew, but it's going to show up in James. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to James 5. It's 1 through 6. 
I'm only going to read the first three verses, but you can read the rest. James clearly is not happy that if the wealthy people are not helping the poor. So James 5, 1 through 6. And again, just listen to the words that are being used because it's all in there. They're all pulling from the same well of ideas about charity. So James says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming on you. That doesn't, that's not, a, that's not the way that you win friends and influence others, right? Your riches have rotted. Your, cl- your clothes are moth-eaten. Verse 3, your gold and silver have rusted. Why are they rusting? Because you put them in the ground and you're not using them for anything. And then he says this, their rust will be evidence against you. As if God's going to put you on trial and he looks down at the coins and there's rust on your coins. You weren't doing what, you're, what you should have been doing with your, with your wealth. It will eat your flesh. Oh, there's the rust. It will eat your flesh like fire. And then again, you get this idea of treasure. You have laid up treasure for the last days. So you can see James is using all the same language to convey the same idea about taking care of the poor. Okay, and then the last one that's the toughest one, I think, is we don't know what to do with this idea delivers from disaster. You hear that in uh, all of the ones from Proverbs. And I... I'm not trying to make any the- come to any theological conclusions, but we clearly see that, that giving charity is important. It's important for everybody. It is important for our soul. So we know that spiritual death um, is just as bad as physical death. Okay. So what do we get, what do we get out of this? Well, Jesus affirms charity, no doubt. Right? He's right in his first century context where charity is one of the most important things to them. Jesus, though, throws, he gives us a radical challenge, right? It's not just proportion. He says, no, go sell everything. Now, in the same chapter six, if you go back again and read chapter six, he also tells you, hey, don't worry about where you're going to get your clothes. Don't worry about where you're going to get your food, right? If you gave all to the, if you gave everything you own, now you're in direct reliance on God, and that's when God's he- heaven and all the blessings come down, and Jesus knows that, because all of the, you know, what happens in our society, especially a wealthy society, is all of our riches get in the way of the blessings from God, because we, we can rely on ourselves. And, you know, for the poor countries who have hardly anything, they're, du- they're in direct reliance uh, with God. So Jesus knows that. That's why it's a radical challenge. And then the last thing I'll end with is check out, I, I put some notes on your sheet, but go check out 1 Timothy 6, uh, 13 to 19, because that's where Paul gives this kind of cryptic, make sure they keep the commandment. We're not going to go over it tonight, but make sure they keep the commandment. And then later he says something about storing up treasures. So you know, we know he's talking about... Um, we know he's talking about charity, but apparently there was an idea in the first century that the commandment was to take care of the poor to, for almsgiving. Okay, hopefully that gives you a picture of what it means to lay up treasures or store up treasures in heaven. It's all about 
charity, and all about those in need. And we just want to make sure we read that in that, in, in that first century context um, about taking care of those in need. All right, so that's Matthew week eight. Thanks for joining us today for this important lesson on charity. And if you found this teaching valuable, we ask that you would make a financial donation to support Fig Tree Ministries. You'll find a link that will take you directly to our donation page in the description section below. Your generous donation directly impacts our daily operations and our ability to reach an increasing audience and help people gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. The clearer we understand scripture, the more solid the foundations of our faith become. So we hope this lesson blessed you today and helps you understand how important it is that we store up treasures in heaven.